Welcome to Parallel Lives. My name is Levi, and this is my co-host Demer. Hello. This episode, we're talking about comorbidities and how they interact with maladaptive daydreaming. Talking about comorbidity and maladaptive daydreaming, we have Q, 20-year-old American, and Emery, 19-year-old Canadian university student. Hello, all of you beautiful people. Hello. A comorbidity is disorders that you have in tandem together simultaneously, like depression and anxiety or, or what have you. We, we already know that both of you have maladaptive daydreaming, but what else do you have? When I developed maladaptive daydreaming, and this was a, a very long time ago, um, back when I was very young, about seven-ish, in the third grade, I think, is about when my depression formed. Uh, major depressive disorder it just got worse over time. Uh, and I had, uh, and I still have bipolar disorder or uh, like excessive mood swings, I think is what the uh, official term for it is called to sort of soften the blow. But uh, bipolar to an extent and uh, depression when it began. Uh, I don't have depression anymore, but when I, when I first started my maladaptive daydreaming uh, and my depression, since it manifested itself very early on i think it was because uh i was beginning to realize uh, early in my lifespan that a lot of the people around me were very untrustworthy whether it be uh classmates or teachers or you know family members or all of that i found them very untrustworthy and it was it was very heavy on my heart so when i was daydreaming i daydreamed mostly of having friends because i had none and just it was, the world was a very very tough speaking specifically of uh uh speaking speaking specifically of uh depression emery autism adhd combined type ocd generalized anxiety disorder um learning disorders i don't actually know which learning disorders i'm diagnosed with it doesn't say but my guess is auditory processing disorder dyscalculia and or dysgraphia um, then also borderline personality disorder. I've had avoidant restrictive food intake disorder mentioned as something I have on assessments, but it's never been listed as a diagnosis. So I'm confused about that. And um, I'm still planning to go back to psychiatrists to talk about other personality disorder stuff, um, which I am mentioning because one of the possible ones cluster a um schizotypal that i wanted to talk about is relevant and then i've also been misdiagnosed in the past with persistent depressive disorder unspecified depressive disorder and major depressive disorder and panic disorder and not all of those are relevant but that's everything so emory um that's quite a list but how um which one which do you think came first as far as the maladaptive daydreaming and and the other stuff or is there like i i don't know a timeline well adhd autism learning disorders are things i was born with um that's pretty much probably genetic my dad brother have those kind of things my there's autism and adhd my sister and my nephew um uh, my grandfather probably had adhd things like that so those i was born with so those are obviously like first things 
Uh, um, borderline personality disorder generally personality disorders generally develop during adolescence, um, thereby ad- young adulthood. Um, though there can be traits in childhood, so those would have come kind of after. Um, like certain traits while developing them might have been there the entire time at the same time, but the full disorders, no. Um, OCD, I'm not sure because I've had OCD since like since elementary school. Um, generalized anxiety disorder, um, I developed in like high school, so after MD. So MD was also kind of early elementary school, like OCD, so I don't know which one kind of was first. Um, that was exactly going to be my next question. Like, um, Q already mentioned that that some this started uh, pretty early for him too, and then, but we didn't ask when the maladaptive daydreaming started. So here, so here's the thing: is it it begins very hazy, right? Like, sort of my the story of my life because, and we're not going to go over the whole thing, but it just kind of like blends itself together until you get to the present day. But I usually start like where all of my current existence I started at around 7 because well it just that's that's when the depression started um and I'm not I honestly didn't know I had uh I I've, I've had this for a while but I wasn't made aware of it until actually recently now I'm I'm not I'm a bit older than 20 but I uh that's what is that let's say that's uh, at least 15 years later I was made aware that I have a, a sort of bipolar disorder or a, um an issue with mood swings um, like heavy, heavy mood swings. Um, I was made aware of that recently, but I've had this the entire time, so I'm not entirely sure when that began, but I say seven because that's when the depression started, and that's why I was like, I really don't want to be in the real world, because the real world, because you're like, I was like, what, seven? I mean, seven-year-olds are very, very small, and for the most part, they're they're not 100% fragile. They're not made of glass, but God knows that when they're developing... When a child is developing, you got to be careful with how you treat them emotionally because they're very, very impressionable. And boy, right, the, the place that I was being, I was, I was growing up in was not. It, I was a, a great many things were impressed upon me. Now that includes uh, a lot of distrust of people and institutions in general because. Whenever I would try to get help somewhere or do something, it was largely largely ineffective, and for the most part, I was uh, shoved to the side. Um, and I was like, here, I just want someone to listen to me, or I want someone to understand me. And the answer was, no, we're going to put you on. You know, in school is essentially a conveyor belt. They're like, all right, you're going to go to the next part of this conveyor belt. It's like, will you listen? Uh, no. That's what I was told. So I, that's when I sort of realized, I was like, this is an awful place. I don't want to be here. So I, I believe sort of in the third, the fourth, the fifth grade, I, and I didn't understand why it was this way. I don't understand why people, and I, to be honest, I still don't understand why people are excessively awful. Um, but back then, that was, that it, it hurt so much more because I was seven and I could get no one to listen to me. And I could get no one to be, to say, oh, here, what are your issues? What can I do to help you? Didn't have any of that. So I just kind of like left everyone else behind. Because they clearly didn't care about me, so I was going to clearly not care about them. Because because relationships are a two-way street. And I don't mean romantic relationships in particular, but also like platonic relationships. 
and just when you are interacting with two people, you gotta have the two-way street. But there was not the two-way street. I, there would not. They were not giving to me, so I decided I would not give to them. But you know who I could give to? These characters of mine. My maladaptive daydreaming developed because I could not find a two-way street for relationships because it was always one way. I wanted to give. Or sorry, I wanted to receive and I gave, but I never received. It was only the one way. And I, I, I wasn't about to just give, 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 give. I mean, I tried that. I tried that for years and it didn't work. So the, but the only two-way street I could find was with my characters. So that's when that developed. That's, that's what I was trying to get at in like a really roundabout way, which was probably a weird way of doing it, being like, when did this start? When did this start? But, but yeah, to try to get to, um, you, you know, did these develop? together as 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 maybe part of the same um circumstances or or did your do you think maybe your md developed as a coping strategy for something else that popped up or or vice versa it was a coping it was a coping strategy for not being able to to find any sort of like love in my life um when when i was young i i did all those really like uh uh, because I had like a major depressive disorder, I, I wrote all those notes with the pictures, and I'm loving me killing myself or whatever. So they sent me to the principal's office, and you know what the principal said? We're going to expel you. So I'm like, I'm like seven, right? I'm seven, mind you, and I literally just tell this this my, I I tell my principal. I said, just do it. I'm going nowhere in life anyways. That was a very low point, and that was the point where I was like, really, I I don't trust you. I was like, you're untrustworthy. My teachers are untrustworthy. Like literally, nobody cared. Why should I be anywhere? Why why should I be here? Make me go away. So I went away, and I went away for a long time, and I'm still kind of away. I mean, I have my characters, and and God knows that they cared for me far more than anyone else back then did. Uh, so as I got older, and I, they didn't expel me because that looks bad. Because it's like, this, this, this individual was the kind of person who clearly didn't like to be told off. But they were told off by a seven-year-old. Because I didn't care for the consequences. What was I doing there? I was getting yelled at by teachers and students, and I was getting left in the dust. They weren't doing anything for me. Uh, and a lot of people didn't do anything for me for a very long time. So that, that really put a mark on me, which is why you, you treat... You, you, you treat you have to treat children well. You have to teach them well when they're young. If you don't, that's what happens. You, you, they hit, uh, you, they, you, you corner them. So then that's what happened. I got cornered. And so at that point, that's when it really became a, I don't really don't care. I'm just going to, that's what, after that, that's because we had a track at our elementary school and I would walk around the track all day, just daydreaming. And so my, my teachers didn't like that. So they sat me out. And I said, they said, okay, you can go back. And I said, here, I'll talk with the kids. And I immediately went back to the track. So they would just sit me out at, they'd sit me out at, at, uh, at recess every single day because they didn't want me walking around the track. They wanted me to do the, the, the kid thing because a kid is supposed to interact with other kids as if sitting next to the teachers. And I was like, whatever. Oh, that's when I was like, I don't need to pace because I didn't have the opportunity to pace, which is, it, it's my, the way I maladaptive daydreamed and what happened in my daydreams it was influenced by the world around me. Now, that might not necessarily be uh, part of the comorbidity itself, but th I, I think the, the depression developed even further due to the world around me. 
Um, they, they developed together. They kind of grew into this absolute amalgamation, this monstrosity that just eats away at you. And it grew really bad, but that's why I think it really got to be major depressive, because it just got worse and worse, because nobody was helping me. And it's, I'm like, my thought process at the time was like, no one's going to help you if you're a kid, right? Now, am I changing my opinion? Well, I'm certainly trying. Um, it's tough. But when I was there, I was like, that, that's why when I maladaptive daydream, I don't pace because I didn't have the need to pace, but I had the need to daydream. So I, so that's what I did is I adapted over, over time to just be able to sit in a chair or lay down in my bed and just go run, run across the fields, the plains, the worlds that I create. Because what, what, what else am I going to do? Sit there and be miserable knowing that everyone around me just doesn't care. I read somewhere that uh, something like 9% of maladaptive daydreamers start off as pacers as children and then learn how not to pace. Unfortunately, they learn how not to pace from being shamed or disciplined. Yes, and it's terrible. You said they learn to pace because they're shamed. It's like, you know what, that is, that is a twofold terrible thing to do if you are, if you are interacting with a child. And you, 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 I want you to know this, that that is twofold terrible, especially if they may grow up to be a maladaptive daydreamer. Now, the problem is, is you can't see that, but it's terrible for two very important reasons. One, it shows that you don't, if you're shaming them, one, it shows that you do not care. It shows that they can't trust you because if they go to tell you about something or they go to do the thing that helps them, you're just going to push them away even farther, which makes you one of the most untrustworthy individuals that they can look at. That's that's the main part of a caretaker. You're supposed to care for them. If you're shaming them, you, you can no longer, you're not caring for them. And the second part is, in terms of being a maladaptive daydreamer, now you can do it anywhere. You can do it anywhere at any time. Nothing is stopping you. Right, you literally have nothing to stop you but yourself, and and Lord knows that that's difficult, and it makes it so much harder to break it down the line. Oh my gosh, Emery, <laughs> Emery, um, do you feel like they developed alongside each other, or that one caused the other, or anything like that? Uh, yeah, for me, it did not really develop as like a coping mechanism. Um. I don't think um, it it was more I think mainly partially due to ADHD um, going haywire um, I mean that kind of sounds like with ADHD since I have the combined type that means I have both the hyperactive impulsive symptoms as well as the inattentive such as like daydreaming a lot um, and in the ADHD diagnosis, it's not to the, the daydreaming symptom isn't to the extent of maladaptive daydreaming. Um, so I think it just started out as being that ADHD thing and then kind of just went from there. That's the main one. Um, they, it interacts with my other diagnosis a lot, but development wise that's the primary thing i can think of um yeah i know it's a hard question because they're asking you to sort of retroactively analyze yourself it's it's also just because there's things that could be relevant but i'm not diagnosed with that so i don't know for sure if i have that so i'm just like how much can i discuss this right now um well i'll do it anyways 
uh, like I, I mentioned at the beginning, one of the things I've been planning to bring up to a psychiatrist is the possibility of schizotypal personality disorder. Um, so with that, with that disorder and schizospectrum disorders in general, um, things like being lost in your head, being lost in your world, um, in, like intense, um, intense inner complex fantasies, uh, content is also a bit more relevant with that. Um, inside the head, um, being extremely disconnected from the world, things like theorization, um, depersonalization, though generally not to the extent of a dissociative disorder. Things like that play a role in those. So if I do in fact have that or something along those lines, I think that would also play into the development. Talk for a moment, Emery, about how your your worlds change as your um, as your disorders change, or how your disorders affect what you daydream. Um, when I was younger and as I developed as a person and as a maladaptive daydreamer, when I first began, um, I had uh, excessive mood swings, is what I was told because I was young, but like a sort of bipolar disorder. And usually what I would daydream is some of the worst of the worst. The people around me getting absolutely destroyed and ruined in however many awful, terrible ways because, boy, was I an angry... Well, I was a very angry individual. Um, so when I was younger, it was... While my depression drove me to daydream, my bipolar uh, nature drove what my daydreams were about as a means of... Uh, internalizing and coping with these absolutely wonderful people I was dealing with daily. I think that, and I'm trying to stick to these two in particular because the, well, these three, the bipolar, the depression, and the maladaptive daydreaming as a sort of triangle for how they each grew together. Because I know I could overcomplicate it with my, with my uh, autism. The problem is, is that, that gets, it makes everything very murky. Um, so... When I, when I started, the bipolar made all of my daydreams just absolutely terrible. It was a, it was oftentimes like a power fantasy sort of thing, and it was just like lots of lots of death, lots of destruction because I would swing from angry to really happy because I would feel way better afterwards, and then the world would kick me in the teeth again, uh, and then I'd, I'd be super angry. Um, I've been taking medication uh, every single day, morning and night, for the past at least the past. 16 years, um, at least, morning and night, every single day. And we had a point where uh, I switched my medication. And it was a terrible switch because uh, my, my bipolar disorder sort of it leaked out, right? Well, we changed my medication, my, my doctor, my mother, and I, uh, or mainly those two, and I became this absolute demon child. I was unpleasant to deal with. No, no, nobody liked me anyways, but man, they really didn't like me then. I was just making teachers' life hell. I was being very mean. I talked back. I was not doing what I was told because they didn't care anyways. And it, if this, this, sort of, this sort of anger was, one, it lasted longer. Um, I lasted in my sort of angry state longer than my happy state, and I, it was just leaking out and just... I was just being a massive nuisance to everybody because that's how I felt normally. Um, so 
when I pushed it to my daydreams that I could internalize it. But that's how bad did it get or how bad was it if it manifested in the real world? And my my everyone was concerned because they had never seen this quiet kid they had pushed and shoved around for two and a half years. They had never seen him do this. Um, so everyone got very concerned. But it had developed, my bipolar had sort of developed over the course of the year and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, which is why my maladaptive daydreaming got worse. And it sort of continued onwards from there. So Emery had mentioned, you had mentioned that you, you kind of have this feeling that your, your maladaptive daydreaming sort of started as the normal kind of daydreaming that typically comes with ADHD and attentive. Yeah. And then, and then morphed um, in, in, into this other thing. Yeah. And, and, and ADHD is so... It's, it's, it's a, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on just that and maybe we will, but, but, but uh, it's, it's something that comes up, um, as a comorbidity for maladaptive daydreaming a lot and, and people have questions about it. So how would you tell, or how do you personally tell if the daydreaming is coming from the ADHD or if it is this separate condition, maladaptive daydreaming? Well, I don't think that exactly mutually ex um I, it's not well it's not 100 mutually exclusive so i'm just trying to think about how to explain it um it's like okay with and this is just this is an um, comparison like with autism um you often have picky eating right um because sensory issues so picky eating with autism is quite common um, but there is also another disorder called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder that that can be caught that can be so like ARFID is not always necessarily because of picky eating um, like um, you can be avoidant or restrictive due to other reasons but it's very common that someone has a disorder because they're an extremely picky eater so it's like basically the picky eating autism if it's so severe, then it may warrant as another diagnosis. So the root is still going to be autism. It's just that it's gotten so bad that it warrants another diagnosis. But basically, my point is with the ADHD is a symptom of daydreaming. It's just that for me, for whatever reason, that got a lot worse than in the average person so it's not like is my am i daydreaming right now because of this or this um it's not like i have two independent things causing the same symptoms it's that one was caused directly by the other so all daydreaming is from both i guess basically because the root cause for me i believe would be at least in part adhd so the answer to that is um, yes, it would be kind of both. Like, I'm always kind of thinking, like, I never stop thinking. Um, my brain's never quiet. And the default for that is daydreaming for me. Um, because of that, it, it, um, get, it's to a degree with additional symptoms that have been caused by the degree of daydreaming, such as pacing, missing real life um, responsibilities, etc. That makes it this warrants the separate diagnosis. If that basically makes sense. So it's actually interesting that 
the way that you're mentioning this because for me personally i didn't have as bad i feel adhd when i was younger than i do now and that also like makes make me think well which is it you know which came first or are they just related by themselves or anything like that but i i feel like the way that i explained um Co comorbidities to people relating to maladaptive daydreaming is I told them that it's not like, you know, it's not like you have a whole bunch of tiny things that are, that's like going on. Instead, for me personally, it's like one big thing, like an umbrella and underneath that umbrella is like a bunch of other stuff. But I think when it comes to other things that may have been unrelated to maladaptive daydreaming, that wouldn't makes sense but the way that you uh described the adhd relating to maladaptive daydreaming um that made sense to me a lot so yeah i i can uh relate to that so let me just see if you've been prescribed any medications for your comorbidities have they affected your maladaptive daydreaming at all and if you want you can also talk about if they've uh, helped for your other uh, comorbidities. I am. I've been on multiple different medications. Try different medications. Um, I'm not going to mention like ninety nine percent of them. Um, because they didn't have any effects on my maladaptive daydream in general. They had like next to zero effects on me in general. Um, I don't know. I tend to be rather hyposensitive to medications in general, not just ones for brain stuff. Uh, the one that, I'm just trying to remember what's called, which one was that? Uh, Vyvanse. So Vyvanse is the one that affected my mild daydreaming the most. I was prescribed that for ADHD, only very, very minimally helped my ADHD. And that one did actually, that one did actually reduce my daydreaming, uh, mainly in the evenings. Um, but that wasn't really a good thing for me because, as like I said earlier, I'm always thinking. So even if I'm not daydreaming, I'm still thinking. And usually if I'm not thinking about my daydreams, I'm not, I'm thinking about things I would rather not think about. Um, so we, like pretty much every night I would have a massive breakdown because I would have these spiraling, um, like having tons of different thoughts and spiral. Um, so yeah, I did not like how Vyvanse affected that. Um, Wellbutrin, I don't think affected my maladaptive daydream that much, but it's just funny what it did do. It just had zero effect at me on all, including at all, including side effects. I was prescribed that for ADHD, depression, and anxiety. Um, I think maybe I don't know. Um, it just made me whenever I thought of my OCs, um, being even slightly sad, it would make me burst into tears and stuff. Um, which is not a big big effect, but I just thought it was funny. So that how did that, and that's pretty much all. I don't actually have much to say on this question. Oh, you know, you know what's super funny is both of those I've also been prescribed. So uh, when it comes to Vyvanse, uh, I have had I haven't been I've been prescribed Vyvanse on a uh, take when necessary basis um, because for a couple different reasons, but mostly because I couldn't focus. 
Uh, and that I had an issue with sleeping. That 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 caused issues with sleeping in me. Uh, and I once once the effect wore off of uh, pay attention, I had a massive kickback of don't sleep for like 18 hours afterwards, and then you were just stuck in your head for all uh, all that entire time, like daydreaming the whole night away. Um, and that I had a huge kickback from that when I uh, when I use it. So I've been trying to to not, but it's hard not to when you can't pay attention. Uh, and Wellbutrin actually had a massive effect on me. Uh, I've been prescribed that for over a decade and a half, and uh, only recently have gotten off of it. Uh, apparently, it was doing a lot for my depression, but since I don't need so much of it anymore, I've actually gotten off of it entirely. Apparently, what it was doing was my days were shorter. Like, my brain, while on uh, Wellbutrin my brain would like like time would fly by so quickly like i'll get stuck in my head for maybe 10 minutes and it turns out two hours have passed um because and i talked to my doctor he said well because it was making you happy it was making you and you didn't need so much of it it was making you too happy so your brain sped up like if i guess he was saying my brain sped up so just time flew by faster um when i needed it when it came to maladaptive daydreaming, because the larger dose I had, the more I would daydream. And now I'm having, it's making a bit easier to not daydream uh, with neither of those, considering that the kickback from the Vivance would cause me to daydream pretty heavily. And Wellbutrin would, I get stuck in my head and I would, I'd be able to get a lot done in my, in my, in my paracosms, but Lord knows that when I was done, not the stuff I needed to do in real life was not done. So I've gotten off of both of those entirely. And it's helped me not daydream. But as Emery said, it doesn't exactly do certain things for certain people. It just kind of did a lot for me. I've had a lot of medication changes over the years. And a lot of them have affected me pretty heavily. But th th those are two of the most recent. And I thought it was funny because we both had been prescribed that and had different experiences with them. Actually, um, I'm thinking about it if I was trying to think, because, like, did that have I had any medications prescribed that have actually heavily affected my symptoms? And honestly, like, gabapentin at a higher dose helps a little bit with anxiety, and that's, like, pretty much it. Um, I've been on, what have I been on? I've been on, I've been on Concerta, um, Ritalin, um, Vivance, Stratera. I'm getting my Stratera up because there's that starting though, so maybe it'll help. Um, Robutrin, um, uh, Sertraline, other things. I'm forgetting what other things. Remeron is one. I, but anyway, basically, they have, haven't really affected me at all in general. I can tell you one that absolutely destroyed me for the longest time. It still kind of does. That I still take, by the way. Um, it would be Respiridone. Respiridone helps with my bipolar, like, immensely. Like, I cannot function without it, or I become this absolute monstrosity. Uh, so I need it. But also, if I take too high a dose, um, and it's like, there's like this really, like, razor-thin threshold that if I take over that threshold, I just am unable to function in the real world. Um, like, I just get stuck in my daydreams all day, every day, every night. Um, and then if, let's say I take uh, too much Respiridone one day, and then I take Vyvanse. Well, then I don't sleep, and then I daydream all day and all night, and I don't sleep until I collapse. 
So it, it's it the respiradone is what absolutely ruined me, which is why we had to lower it so much, and it came at a cost. Um, but uh, now that I take a lower dosage, it has made my days more manageable. You guys are making me wonder. Um, did you, or not did you, but did your um, doctors and and your clinicians take the daydreaming into account when they were pres- prescribing you things? Um, did uh, did did you tell your doctors about the daydreaming at all? Is it is it something that was considered? Um. Well, I haven't really had uh, general practitioners. My my main doctor, my family doctor, prescribed me mental stuff. Um, the, I've only had one kind of consistent psychiatrist because it is, um, uh, I can't seem to, I don't know. The assistant just hates me. I keep getting told um, certain things are happening and doesn't happen and that referrals that were supposed to go through never do things like that so but he sucked um he ignored that pretty much half of what I had to say um so he definitely ignored that um he didn't want to treat medicate me for like anything um was a pain in the ass trying to get him to medicate me for literally anything um the nurse practitioners I saw at a mental health center I didn't mention it to them because I did not have enough time to be extremely thorough on on all my symptoms and I have things of more concern like mild adaptive daydreaming is not top priority for me um I'm, I'm I'm kind of fucked um I'm very I'm very much not functional um because of other things so it's not like top priority for me so I I try to get the most important things down and I I think I do mention I daydream a lot but I don't go into it so yeah and then like my last psychiatrist appointment new psychiatrist I only had one appointment with him too that was yesterday um so again I didn't really get to cover much at all and he prescribed me, he re-prescribed he re- Stratera for ADHD, a higher dose, and he also prescribed me something for borderline personality disorder. Um, and again, I didn't even mention it to him because I already had the ADHD diagnosis. I didn't, there was no point mentioning this new disorder in this quick psychiatrist appointment that was for medications. So basically, to you answer your question, no, not at all. <laughs> I think my favorite part was when I mentioned it to my doctor, the one who's prescribing medications. He was like, oh, yeah, everybody daydreams. It's like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep. Oh, do they, I asked him, I said, do they daydream for hours and hours and hours on end? And my doctor, he was like, no. Uh, and that was the end of it. I was like, okay. And talked to him about when I was talking to my therapist. And while she was very uh, responsive, she was like, you have to talk to the one, your doctor who gives you medication. And I was like, aha, I see where the issue lies. Spectacular. So he was he was not, he was like, all right, we'll give you this. But it's been so long since I've been on the same sort of uh, medication the whole time. But when I finally learned of maladaptive daydreaming several years ago, and I brought it up to him several times in the past, um... He was he was very dismissive, and I said that's spectacular. And he said, "Yep, you're correct. I'm correct." And I I just not they just, they don't want to listen. No one wants to listen, and uh, it's frustrating. Um, how can you tell your maladaptive daydreaming apart from 
let's say a hyperfixation, obsession, or hallucination? Um, okay. For me, um, all three of those do apply to me. Um, okay, I'm okay. First of all, it's honestly kind of a pet peeve of mine where um, non psychotic people seem to think that psychosis and daydreaming are super easy to get mixed up and some for maybe for some psychotic people and that may be true for them personally but in general it's it's just that's just not exactly how it works um like mind's eye is kind of odd like i get like in like things like maybe like thought disorder i can see being mixed up if you have a thought in your head that's intruding um i don't know but in a it's just kind of a little pet peeve of mine in general um people with non-schizo spec people um maladaptive daydreamers seeming to think that there is super similar easy honestly if a doctor is misdiagnosing those then they should get rid of their degree that's my That's my. Did um, I did I end up misdiagnosing or saying something that brought about that pet peeve? No, um, no. This is me from the very moment I joined the community. That just bothers me so much. Mm. Um, nothing. It's not what you said. Okay. But I see it a lot. I just had to mention that. Um, uh, like for me, um, I tend to get illusions more so hallucinations, which can seem the same. Uh, but a hallucination is ex um like sensory input that is completely made up whereas an, an illusion is distorted um stimuli so with for example with an illusion um seeing hearing a like hearing a vacuum cleaner but instead of hearing the vacuum you hear screaming whereas hallucination would be hearing screaming just hearing screaming when there's no sound to attach it to but in general, it's very, very easy to tell apart from me because it's, it's, it's like seeing anything in your environment, like hearing someone talk that's actually talking. That's what it's like. It's not, you can tell, generally tell the difference between that and internal thoughts or that in mind's eye. Um, I've never, and it's always random. Um, it never has anything to do with my daydreams. It's always just like, I'll be sitting there and then I think I see a snow leopard for a moment um, walking towards me. And it's like, very basically point, my point is very, it's very easy to tell apart. Um, hyperfixation, obsession. Um, that's not, it's, those interact, my hyperfixations my special interests obsessions etc those interact very much that they very much um them okay um i forget the word but like kind of influence the that's not the word i'm looking for but as close as i can get right now influence my daydream content so for example when i was super when warrior cats was like my number one special interest as a kid that's what i daydreamed about most of the time um right now I'm actually my daydream world my which I made up like it's my own cosm I made the story I made all the characters etc that's my main special interest right now my number one special interest so generally it's just for me it's that's for me that's not super applicable because they interact a lot like that 
um, same with obsessions. So my obsessions very much influence my um, daydream content. Like, um, <clears throat> for example, the number three, that's an obsession I have. So plot-wise, story-wise, narrative-wise, the number three comes up a lot. Like, for example, three protagonists, um, three whatever, just things like that. Um, uh, sometimes, and then my obsessions can also be kind of like filtered through um, my intrusive thoughts, or it can be filtered through, which is kind of obsessions and intrusive thoughts. Those are kind of the same thing. And my intrusive thoughts come from my OCD, so it's coming from those obsessions, um, which is why I'm kind of including it here because it's kind of the same thing. Get filtered through my maladaptive daydreaming, so I'll have daydreams based on my obsessions, my intrusive thoughts, things like that. Um, like intrusive daydreams and whatnot, or like daydreaming constantly about things I'm obsessed with for whatever reason. Um, sometimes if I'm thinking a lot about a different um, special interest or a hyperfixation, but I'm not necessarily daydreaming about it, um, it can be kind of confusing. Like, am I daydreaming right now? Um, I don't know, because my, my thoughts content is extremely confusing and vague to me in general, so it's really hard to figure out what's actually happening there. Um, so it can be kind of hard in that case, but otherwise, yeah. I'm actually really, really glad that you brought up, that you started off with, you know, there's, there's a difference between... Um, psychosis and maladaptive daydreaming. I'm really glad that you touched upon that because I see a lot of times when people are unfamiliar with maladaptive daydreaming, um, they think that maladaptive daydreamers see things, like that it's it's part of daydreaming that we enter psychosis and we cannot tell the difference between uh, our, our daydreaming worlds or our paracosms versus the real world. And um, that's one of the things that, you know, we we do want to get out there that maladaptive daydreaming doesn't cause people to have uh, issues with differentiating between uh, the real world and their daydreams. So um, like Emery said, you know, that would be something that's relating to to a different comorbidity. So yeah, yeah I just wanted to say thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I, I see it a lot where people do confuse it. So and I also want to add, I also think a lot of that also comes from not knowing anything about schizophrenia spectrum disorders or psychosis, because at the same time, because it's partially that they don't seem to know much about maladaptive daydreaming at all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how important it's it, but it's always, that's always just bugs me too, because I can tell they also don't know much about that topic at all. Um, and it bugs me because people seem to feel the need to talk about schizophrenia and psychosis a lot when they really don't know much about it um but yeah that's sorry that's just kind of also tangent I think it's also a mix of both that they don't know much about either or sometimes they may know some about one thing but not much about the other one things like that it gets very frustrating I think um especially when well in terms of you were talking about talking um people discussing like schizophrenia when they don't know much i've also had people try to they have i've had people try to tell me what maladaptive daydreaming is when they don't know what it is and they don't know that i have it so i'm sitting here like that's not none of this is applicable 
is what this is what all I can think when they tell me stuff. It's very it's it's annoying. Like it's frustrating to hear people talk about it, but when they're like trying to tell you what it's like when they don't have it and they don't know, it get, it make it's it's it gets very very frustrating. And I don't know why they feel the need to talk about it in the first place. Um, actually, maybe I do because discussion needs to be made about it. But then they then they just end up sharing bad information and it propagates and it's just not it's not good for anybody. Uh, I I actually think that uh, Q, you mentioned something that's also really important is um, you know trying to talk to medical professionals about maladaptive daydreaming because remember maladaptive daydreaming doesn't exist to to medical professionals right now. So they're going to go and they're going to be like, okay, well, you're a patient. What do you know? You know, like, oh, you Googled your symptoms. Well, I went to medical school. And while I oh, get that. Oh, that also... makes me mad. Oh, boy. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see like, it in a book. I mean, I, I get that. Like, yes, you know, I, I was in medicine as well and all that type of nonsense. But the thing is that, you know, we need medical and mental health professionals to keep an open mind and to listen to their patients. Because, like you know, like you said, you you try to talk to to uh, someone who should listen to you, and they didn't listen to you. And I feel like that also comes in with with the comorbidity thing, is where you will get misdiagnosed when let, let's say you don't have any comorbidities, right? Sorry, I mm -hmm. still can't say that word. <laughs> let's I say you don't have good. any of those, but um. So you, you go and see a mental health or a medical professional and they misdiagnose you with something that you don't have at all. That means you get put on medication for something that you don't have. That creates a different problem. You know, mm -hmm. so that was also something really important to just mention is that, yeah, um, it, it, it gets quite crazy with everything that intertwines. But at the end of the day, you know, there are things for the comorbid disorders and there are there should be things for maladaptive daydreaming. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that in there. <laughs> it's, 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 and here, here's the thing about it, right? If you are, if you, if you are diagnosed, it, and look, I'm no medical professional because this, this tends to go into their territory, but intuition and logic would stand to reason that if you are put on a medication for something you don't need, um, that may cause more problems. It may cause more problems because the side effects may make your maladaptive daydreaming worse. It may make your maladaptive daydreaming worse and then give you other side effects. And the problem is, because it's not well-known nor well-accepted, um, it tends to get misdiagnosed a lot. I, I think that comes down to, they, there's a lot of, I, my, I, I know medical professionals, and, and they deal with a lot of, individuals that are convinced that they have something when really they don't so they do brush up with a lot of people who think they know very often so they just have they have they are forced to push them aside and then give them the medication that will usually end up helping them but in our case they don't have a medication for that it it we just tend to be a side effect of oh we're just another person who doesn't know what they're talking about so because it's just not our issues are not common they're not well known I, I mentioned earlier, oh, should we say the question? Yeah, yeah, we should. Uh, you, you can go for it. Sorry, I, uh, I did like... That's the, do your characters have your diagnosis? If yes, does this help you to cope? 
I'm, I mean, I mentioned earlier that my other symptoms very much affect my mouth that's a daydream. And honestly, thinking about it, I think that's kind of true for pretty much every disorder I have affects my maladaptive daydreaming and the content. Um, all my disorders in general are highly interconnected. Um, uh, but with the characters, um, yeah, because I don't actually understand. And it's not even the characters. It's like the world in general. Um, you can tell. I, I don't know how to explain. I don't know how to explain, but like it affects the world in general, not just my characters. Like I don't know how to say like, oh yeah my cultures are so mentally ill they have my mental illnesses but that's how it is it's just I don't understand my content I don't know how to make for example characters with certain qualities I don't know how to make non-mentally ill characters or not or neurotypical characters because I don't understand how that works um I don't know how they are like I don't get neurotypical people um people with no mental disorders it just don't make sense to me um i cannot cons- um, wrap my head around for example having flaws that aren't flaws that are to the degree of being disordered because for me like all my flaws like my personality I and mean, i could go into a whole rant with this um like psychology wise but my personality is legitimately just my disorders that's how my personality is it's my disorders um because my, my behaviors, my thought patterns, my ways of interacting people, those are all extremely influenced by my disorders. So I just don't know how non-disordered people work. Um, so basically, I accidentally give all my characters mental illness. Um, it's all accidental. Um, I always go back and diagnose with them. It's like, oh, yeah, another character with a cluster B personality. So, oh, another autistic character. Oh, another ADHD character. That's what's like for me. Um, and again, it's not on purpose, it's all accidental, but I, I, I do want to mention that because I'm not just deciding, oh, I'm going to give this character my disorder. It's a fundamental difference in how I perceive things and relate to things and make characters and think about things um, that majorly affects my maldata deji. And like all the content is going to be heavily influenced by that. When it comes to making characters for me, I don't have many, I don't really give them disorders, but because of my interactions with the world, tend to be, can be very negative. I'll make, like, like let's say uh, I get a character who is, like, how, how do I put this? My characters won't have disorders, but they will inter, I'll, they'll interact with the world, uh, like let's say you have uh de- like like de- depression. Let's say you have depression and you've grown up having a very pessimistic, negative mindset. Uh, there are characters that will have those qualities without having without having the uh, without having the diagnosis themselves. Um, it does. When I started, it did help me cope a bunch having characters that were just absolutely, unbelievably angry and furious. Um with those kinds of uh, diagnoses that I did have when I was younger, but I don't have them so much now. Uh, when I make characters now, they're more focused on being well-rounded, even though um, I had the here, here's something that isn't on the question, but does apply in a similar vein is I'll make stories like I'll, I'll have paracosms and then make stories. But because uh, like say in this case, my depression, 
affected or it affects how I interact with the world. Like I'll make this story like this tragedy and I don't I, I have a hard time like writing the upward spiral, as it were, because I have uh, I I I've grown up in a very pessimistic, negative world. Um, so I have trouble. Like I, I'll be able to write, or uh, I'll be able to uh, I'll be able to daydream a bunch of different characters that, in many cases, are well-rounded. They're not flat. Uh, they're very dynamic. Uh, but they just there are I just can't seem to get certain things right. Like I can't seem to get the positive interactions right like ever and it's frustrating to see but it's something that affects how i daydream um doesn't necessarily come down to the characters all of the time uh but it certainly come can come down to the story that happens a lot so it does affect how i daydream yeah i think i think you both gave really interesting answers to that question because i think a lot of times you know in our daydreams like our characters are an extension of ourselves, but also, you know, sometimes they are the the more perfect or the, what do you call it, idealized versions of themselves or whichever. And so I guess it depends on individual, you know, on, on the individuals themselves. But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. So uh, cool. Uh, I don't have anything to add to that, uh, except that no, my characters do not <laughs> have <laughs> anything that I have. They are what I want them to be, but yeah. It's funny because um, you mentioned that you want, and they don't have your disorders because you want them, and because they're what you want them to be, which is so funny to me, because I find non-mentally ill killed so incredibly boring. Oh, like, yeah, either I agree give me with characters that. with yeah. everything wrong or don't give me characters. Like, I can just not get into them if they're not fucked up in every single way. I forget that most people only have one or two diagnoses. And, like, my characters have just, like, a laundry list <laughs> of issues. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, uh, I have to... My characters have to have, uh, like, huge flaws or else they turn out super flat. So I have to I like I don't like to staple flaws on my characters and I I don't think they're like uh like co like comorbidities in particular but god if they don't have something that really cripples their character in certain situations then by god I just they turn out to be the Mary Sue everything's perfect for them um which I think is like my I, what ends up happening is it's like I'll make the Mary Sue for the story and then I'll get super angry at them and then I'll just like start I'll then I'll I'll start twisting them I'll like take apart their arms and put stiff it's like a doll you take things off and put them on until it looks uh, like I have to I'll start with a Mary Sue and then just I'll mess them up I'll mess them up cuz I'm like I don't want you here go either leave or become better and I'll I'll give them something and that's when they become more round that's when they become more uh more dynamic as a character, and that's when I keep them. Like I, I can't, I can't have perfect characters in my in my game. I can't have them perfect characters in my world. They have no place. That is ex exactly what's mine. Mine is like I have this this one character who's a favorite of mine who is super overpowered <laughs> and and hyper intelligent and and just amazing and and also kind and 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 gentle. So of course, like he could take over the world if he wanted to. So I, I had to give him uh, massive amounts of trauma and, and all kinds of, of mental health issues to cripple him completely. 
Otherwise, it'd just be ridiculous. Oh, yeah. No. I actually have that with a lot of my characters are OP, um, just because the OP characters are more relevant to the plot. But a lot of the reason to keep it like technic like to keep it technically OP, but narrative plot wise not actually appearing OP, um, is a lot of that not all of that, but a lot of that does come from their own mental issues. Where, for example, they could easily fix X situation, but they don't because of why mental health issue like i use that as a modifier a lot um but they would be mentally ill anyways just because again i i can't really relate to non-mentally disordered people that well i just don't find that interesting while we're uh, sort of veering into the daydreams themselves i just want to bring up something that i see a lot like um um, people talking about or feeling bad really I, i see comments once in a while that um they they feel bad daydreaming about um having having a character with with autism say but they are not autistic themselves and they feel like they're doing something wrong what would you guys say um to 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 somebody like like that um yeah okay um i think first of all i think Fear in creating characters of identities that you don't share in general, not just mental disorder-wise, um, isn't the most healthy. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, I've tried to explain what I mean to people before. I have not been able to do it, so you probably won't get that. But I don't want you to be scared to make someone with my identity um i don't think that's helpful for you or for me or for creating the character i find that kind of othering like autistic people real people we're just people that's what we are um anyway so basically i would say like yeah don't be afraid you're allowed to make a character of this identity you shouldn't feel like we're some untouchable things because we're just people um that but that being said you should be mindful and be trying to put good representation in but you shouldn't be coming at that from a place of fear and anxiety but a place of where you care about representing that character and want to do it well um and this basically put some research in it talk to people with disorders things like that um summed up so that's basically what i'd say so like i think paying attention to how you represent an identity you don't have is quite important but coming at it from a place of fear and stuff isn't as helpful as coming to our place of wanting to make it good because you care about making it good. I, uh, here, okay, so for, for me, when I, create a, for when I create a character, it tends to just sort of pop in and uh, develop over time. So I don't ever think about, like, representing any single amount of anyone inside of my worlds. They just kind of come... To, like they just kind of come and go so i never think about representation in particular that being said let's say you've made this character with autism feeling bad doesn't help you and feeling guilty doesn't help either it would be i what how i would go about dealing with this character or uh interacting with this character is to understand why they act the way they do how they act and if they have let's say like bipolar disorder making it real right you don't want to you don't want a, a disingenuous character if you understand if, if you at least try to understand them and, and and sort of look up 
and information on this disorder. If you if you just simply if you're keeping the character and it's here to stay, don't feeling bad about it isn't that great. Understand who they are, what they do, why they do the things that they do, and do them justice. I think that would be a good way to to put it. Feeling bad about that, like having it, doesn't help anyone. It's like feeling pity for someone because they're the way that they are. Do them justice. Give them some love. I think that would be a, a little... That's what I would advise. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Parallel Lives. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you are. If you'd like to be part of the audience, you can join the Discord. There'll be a link in the in the description. Add the podcast role to yourself, and you'll, you'll get pings from there. There's going to be a couple other links down there uh, to a few resources. We publish on the 1st and 16th of every month. Sometimes we say what the next episode will be about, but we don't know what the next one's going to be about. I'm telling you, we got to do one about paracosms. You know, one of these days. Someday, maybe. <laughs> All right, I think that's it. Yeah. All right, I'll kick the bottle. Goodbye. Craig, we love you. No, don't leave. Goodbye, Craig. Your time no. has come. <laughs>